0: To episode four of the Riz Test podcast, I'm Sadia Habib,
1: and I'm Shaf Chowdhury.
0: Yeah, so Shaf, we had amazing feedback from um, the the last episode regarding K-drama. Uh, we had that special collaboration with the awesome team. Remind us again.
1: Yeah, it is with Dramas Over Flowers. It was it was really good fun recording the podcast with them and. The The range of discussion was brilliant because we've had, the, as you said, the feedback was been, has been great. It's, it, we've had people talking about how, oh, yeah, that's how I got into K-drama. And these are some of the th- reasons that I stick with it. And that's this some of the reasons why I've given up on the likes of HBO and, you know, quote unquote Western TV. And they now focus on K-drama, which is really fascinating, isn't it?
0: Yeah, you know what I especially loved was the uh, commentary, the critical commentary that one of our Instagram friends um, put on, shared with us. Um, Do you remember you shared it on Instagram? That was pretty awesome. The commentary about the podcast really enjoyed that level of feedback. We don't usually see that level of feedback for a podcast. So that was quite heartening.
1: Yeah, it was. It was from the Book Nomad podcast and
0: oh yeah thank um, you so much to the book nomad podcast you are awesome
1: (laughs) it was like a four-part commentary which was really good so
0: really helpful
1: and again i was a little bit surprised as to how popular korean dramas are it's yeah i think it turns out that most of our friends watch them and and it's um and and it's and it's kind of got a broad appeal which is which is fantastic
0: yeah, some of the some of the shows that the girls mentioned, I actually really want to watch them. I'm really keen to watch them. Um, so I'm going to watch them and then let the girls know what I think, hopefully, when we have a future podcast with them.
1: So sadly, we've got a really interesting podcast episode today, haven't we?
0: We have indeed. So we've got another special, and this time it's a comedy special. Um, and we had the absolute privilege to speak to Sopan Deb. So Sopan got in touch with us. Um, initially via um, the wrist test because he wanted our feedback on a new show that's hitting the United States soon, all about practicing Muslim. Um, and we had a conversation with Sopan, he was brilliant to speak to. And then I cheekily said to him, come on, Sopan, we need you on our podcast too. Mm-hmm. Um, so today, that's what we're going to have the pleasure of sharing.
1: Yeah, so... Sopan Deb, for those who don't know, is he's a culture writer for the New York Times. He's also he's not
0: anymore. Shaf, newsflash! Oh, for... I saw yesterday on Twitter he's now the NBA person, formerly culture.
1: Oh, for New York Times still.
0: Yeah. So there's something that I know that you don't know, <laughs> which, <laughs> which makes point? a change because normally you know everything.
1: Not at all. Not at all. You're you're. When it comes to wokeness, you're far ahead of far, yeah, far
0: ahead
1: of <laughs> than I am. So Sopan is former culture writer for the New York Times, currently NBA writer. um, As you said, hot of the press. He he is an accomplished stand-up and, interestingly enough, he did cover the Trump presidential campaign back in 2016 and he covered it when he wasn't really a serious contender and over the time that he covered him, covering him at the conferences and the campaign trail slowly but surely he became more and more serious and of course then became the the, the presidential candidate and then go on to actually becoming president and that's a story in itself so I don't want to kind of steal that thunder but as you said this is a comedy special and I think it's an interesting time isn't it in comedy and representation
0: it is yeah because if you think about the UK scene we've got the rise of you know so many comedians who become household names not just with Muslims but with a lot of non-Muslims, so for example, Guz Khan, everyone loves Guz Khan. He's he's become a national institution. Coventry boy, former teacher. Um at, and, I, and I say to my husband sometimes, I bet his students are watching him thinking and saying, Oh, he used to teach us, he was our teacher.
1: <laughs> and so yeah, he's got his show Man Like Mabeen, with Tezil Yas in there as well, right?
0: What, what what I really like about these um, UK comedians at the moment, and even Sopan actually, so some of the US comedians is, and it, and it's always been the case, but especially now it feels really pertinent for us in terms of the kind of world that we're living in is that their their political commentary is really important.
1: Yeah, and it's really important, and it's really on point as well because you know I think we've come from until very recently the kind the representation in comedy has been. I mean, to be to be quite quite frank, for the most part it's been pretty rubbish. And we've had we've had like shows like you know, uh Citizen Khan with Adil Ray, which is which is an abomination really. I think anyone who you know who looks at it critically or not even critically, just very just on its face value.
0: Superficially, yeah.
1: It, it 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 was awful and it was and it appealed to a an audience. And it was something that was straight out of the 1970s. It's like mind your language type of humour. I'm an Indian, I'm a Muslim, I'm wobbling my head. And it was was really... Cringe. It was super cringe. And I think, you know, I think it needs to be called out. And I think lots of people have called it out. But what's great to see is, as you've said, we've got some really great, just genuinely funny comedians who are hitting the mainstream like Guz Khan as you've said man like Mabeen who's joined by Tez Ilyas and Tez Ilyas is hilarious in his own right and he's become a bit of a Twitter he's really right on on Twitter
0: yes, yes he is he's... I find myself retweeting him all the time yeah. we need to get Gus and Tez on our podcast actually
1: definitely and you know they they're, they're probably the most mainstream we've got right now and um and it's gone from being cringe citizen Khan to not just having brown faces on screen but really talented critical
0: yeah talented critical commentators who are calling out you know um racism calling out islamophobia calling out um you know everything that affects everyday muslims mm-hmm. and more
1: i tell you who else i really like uh i know who
0: you're going to say are you going to say the guy that we saw once or twice
1: yeah Bil- bilal zafar
0: yeah, and he's an ally too. He's
1: an ally and he's currently on tour doing his uh, Lovebox tour. So we've seen him before and I'm off to see him again at the end of um, end of April in Manchester. Oh,
0: how exciting. I think he's in Istanbul. is is I saw his, on his Twitter that he was going to be performing in Istanbul or I might be wrong.
1: Oh, maybe well, potentially he's um he's I mean he and Omar Hamdi have got their own podcast, the um uh, and I think you know I'd love to do a collaboration at some point. But I think Bilal's really funny. But uh, also, I mean, he's very deadpan. He's got a different type of comedy. He's like a, a brown Jack D type thing. And he's really, really funny. <laughs> I'd say, I'd I, take...
0: wonder, I wonder how he feels about you calling him a brown Jack D. I wonder if he even rates Jack D. That'd be hilarious oh. to know.
1: That's that Yeah, potentially. But I'd, I'd say who else is I find absolutely hilarious is Paul Chowdhury.
0: Oh, gosh, yes.
1: He's... he's if, so, uh, he's like he's, he's just so hilarious and some of his comedy I mean half of it's in Punjabi which is which is hilarious because which um, is
0: good for the Punjabi speakers because <laughs> yeah because we can connect with the Punjabi Punjabi jokes with Punjabi jokes the thing is you've got to be Punjabi to get Punjabi jokes I mean yeah, Ur- yeah. Urdu speakers often don't get Punjabi jokes
1: yeah, yeah I think although my it
0: raw Punjabi jokes are raw
1: yeah I, <laughs> I think it's I mean, Urdu is a much more poetic language. I mean, we both i mean, both of us being multilingual, we both speak Punjabi and Urdu and English.
0: Yeah, yeah. And but I have to say that even though, you know, people often say that Urdu is more poetic, um, Punjabi is surely poetic in its own right too. The poetry in Punjabi is like unbeatable.
1: No, you, you're right. And I, no, I don't want to throw Punjabi under the bus there. Um, Punjabi is a beautiful language. It really, really is and when it's spoken I mean I don't speak it very well I can understand it fine but I can't speak it very well but when you hear the kind of um the kind the of nuances humor, yeah the the humor and the nuance in Punjabi is just brilliant and when you hear it and and, and you know what Paul Chowdhury gets that dead on and when you hear him and he, and, it, and it, I follow him on Snapchat and he's absolutely hilarious and he, oh,
0: I need to follow him on Snapchat I don't so, follow him
1: on Snapchat um and Instagram as well, actually, is is absolutely, is, absolutely is, is, is so, so funny. It feels like we are in a bit of a moment, especially in the UK scene, we've got all, everyone we've mentioned. And in the US, we go on to discuss this with Sopan. We've got Hassan Minaj, We've got yeah. um, Aziz Ansari, who I'm actually going to go and see this week. Ah. Uh, and we've got, who else we've got in the US? We've got those two. We've got, um, oh, we've got Russell Peters, of course, the Canadian yeah. Russell Peters, who kind of yeah. kicked off a lot of this and uh, so it feels like we're in a bit of a moment with um it's kind of it's almost 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 cool to be brown because we've got people <laughs> really is really they're not pandering to the white gaze they are telling their story and it's relatable and as you said at the beginning of the podcast it's not just relatable to brown people it's relatable to everyone
0: yeah definitely um I think, um, in the interview that we did with Sopan, he mentions quite uh, quite a few of his um, contemporaries, doesn't he? And he tells us a lot about who he rates and who he admires and why. So that's something to look forward to in a few seconds.
1: Definitely. So, without further ado, let's jump straight in and listen to what Sopan's got to say. Your well, article. You, are you. How are you getting on with that? I know. I know that you're uh, probably got a million other things to do
2: it's a really great it's a great story because it's just as i was telling you guys on the phone and we just there's just never there's never been a show like this and it's it's progress just by existing if that makes sense yeah, yeah that's,
1: the, I mean, that's that's a really really fair point so before we jump into the detail of that um but well, it'd be great to hear from you really for you to kind of talk through your background and how you transitioned your career because your career has been really interesting up to now i'd love to hear it from you in your yeah, way of
2: course i'd be happy to yeah, so I have been um, in uh, a reporter, a journalist, um, for about six years. Uh, no, more than that, actually. I've been a stand-up comedian for six years, and I have been a, a journalist for maybe eight or nine years. Um um, and, and I started with, with journalism. I actually went to college to be a, um, to be a, um, a, a sports broadcaster. And then, and I've honestly, you know, basically the way my life has gone is every two years I just go do something new and, and it's kind of a weird, and, and sometimes it's not by choice because sometimes, you know, you guys know how the media business is. Sometimes, you know, you don't have a choice. In some cases I've worked for shows that got canceled and I had to go find a new job. And the big break came for me, it came in 2016 when I uh, covered the Trump campaign. Um, I got a job for CBS covering the Donald Trump presidential campaign. So I was one of about five to 10 reporters that traveled the country, you know, went to, for more than about a year, for about a year and a half, went to more than 40 states with him, hundreds of rallies. Um, You know, he sent tweets my way. Uh, You know, he, he was, it was one of those, it was one of those experiences. And then after that, after that, I um, is when I landed at the New York Times, and I've been at the Times for about two and a half years, almost, give or so. And um, and and so that's pretty much um, how I ended up where I am now. And then I've been doing stand up for about six years, and how that started in 2012, uh, my college girlfriend broke up with me, and and I, I looked around and I was like, I'm sad, and what do sad people do? <laughs> and I said, Oh, okay, I guess I'll become a comedian now, and. Um, and, um, and, that's how, uh, and that's how I started doing comedy. And oh, it's been wonderful. You know, I started with improv, and then for improv I started doing stand-up. And, and now I'm actually um, finishing up a book right now that comes out next year about how I used um, stand-up comedy and covering the Trump campaign to reconnect with my uh, Indian parents who, um, who were estranged, who I hadn't spoken to and seen in a long time. And, and so I, over the last year
1: I've reconnected with
2: them, and the book chronicles that.
1: I think, I think that's fascinating. I mean, thank you for sharing that. And I think what's fascinating is I've, I've seen one of your stand-ups, I think it was one of the open mics, and you discussed that. And I think that's fascinating that it's from the Trump campaign where, where you know, essentially he's, he's so hostile to anyone who's just not white, cis male kind of thing. There was so much hostility towards people of colour and and to people who look like you. Do you think that was a catalyst to reconnecting with your heritage?
2: Yeah, you know, I'll tell you what, um, there are a couple things. So there was one time in uh, Reno, Nevada, um, uh, out in the western part of the country, where um, I, I was taking pictures of the line of Trump supporters outside, and there are, there are always these long lines to get into these Trump rallies, mm-hmm. and this, um, this older gentleman says to me, um, or he kind of mutters under his breath, and maybe, you know, he says, uh, what are you doing, taking pictures for ISIS?
1: Oh, oh my god.
2: And then I couldn't believe because, like, that's just so so blatant. I couldn't believe what he was saying, and then he and and then he said it again a little louder, and then it was clear that oh no, this was this is clearly a racist. Oh okay, and then one time uh, and about a couple weeks before that um, in Las Vegas, Nevada, um, um, someone came up to me and said I should go back to Iraq where I came from. Now uh, I'm not I'm not Iraqi. I'm not Middle Eastern. I've never. And at that point, I had never even, I'm Indian, and I'd never even been to India at that point. I was, I'm from New Jersey. Um, and it was, it was uh, you know, so, I, yeah, I, and those were the times where I was like, oh, um, I do feel my skin color in a way that I've never felt before. I, I, feel, I feel my identity in a way I've never felt before. Um, the moment, you know, I get a, I get a question a lot, um, um, which is, why, you know, when, did you think Trump was going to win? And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I didn't. But I always, there's a moment on the campaign where I realized, oh, this should have been a, a, a wake-up call. This should have been the moment where I realized that just, there was something real going on here. And that was December uh, 2015 when, um, when Donald Trump announced the original Muslim ban, the initial one. And how that happened was, um, we were all like, you know, in a hotel during the day, a bunch of reporters, and we're hanging out in the lounge. And all of our phones ping. We get this press release from the Trump campaign, and you might remember that he sent out a release, and it says something like, "I'm calling for a complete and total shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until we figure out what the hell is going on," something like that. Uh, You know, I'm paraphrasing. And we all, our, our, our mouths, I literally let out a gasp, like, "What?" And then we spent the day theorizing. What 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 he really meant by that? How he was going to play it? We you know, we were wondering like, hey, maybe he, this this means he doesn't want to be president. He just wants out of the race, and this is a shock him all the way out of it, right? <laughs> and then and then we thought, and, and that that day we were in Charleston, South Carolina, and and he had a rally that night on a battleship called the USS. I want to. I think it was the Yorktown, and and um and we were all thinking, okay, he's going to come out and he's going to say the dishonest media twisted my press release i i didn't mean to keep all muslims out just the ones who are you know terrorists or something like that right and then he takes the stage that night and there's about 1500 people in the crowd and and in and that day this is after hours of getting criticized by people on both sides of the aisle saying that this is racist this is that and he takes out the press release And he reads it into the microphone word for word to make clear, no, no, no. This is what I meant. We're, we're instituting a Muslim ban. And to my shock, the entire crowd gave him a long elongated standing ovation. And that was the moment where I looked around. I was like, Oh, this is not the country that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. This is not the country that I thought I was growing up with. And something, um, Something that is apparent to me now, something that I think about often is like, you know, we, when, when something, you know, something like that happens, a lot of politicians like to say, this is not America. This is not who we are as a country. Well, you know what? I mean, if, if you look at, I, I spoke to a lot of people that night, I interviewed a lot of people, and, and I did not find one person, one person that said, hey, this is not the right policy. This yeah. is not sound. This is not of good judgment. Yeah. And, and that's, then the same thing happened in several rallies after that, because he kept doing it. And, and to me, uh, in fact, what happened is poll, his poll numbers actually rose after that, and he ended up winning the South Carolina primary, and of course he won the nomination, and of course he won the presidency. And, and I think a big thing that a lot of people miscalculated in the last couple of years is that is partially who we are as a country. That's partially who we are as the world that we live in. And yeah, yeah. The world isn't a Hallmark card that we like to think that we've grown up to believe in, you know?
0: Yeah, and this it's interesting that you shared that with us because it just made me think about, as well as Trump, um, you know, this kind of global, network of islamophobia i don't know if you've been following what's been going on in the uk with the whole brexit <laughs> debacle oh, of course I'll be, I'll be I, mean, I mean you probably haven't been following it because you told us earlier i mean i mean the crazy
2: thing about brexit is that you know there's that there's a one day when parliament vote, voted down eight different scenarios of brexit i mean come on i mean pick one you know
1: <laughs> well that, that, that's every day right now yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah right 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 well, there was a really fascinating piece um, by a New York Times columnist here, uh, Max Fisher, mm-hmm. who wrote uh, you know wrote a column about Brexit and, and about this worldwide phenomenon right now and democracies, which is that it's not people are no longer for things; they yeah. are only against things. Yeah. So. Anything that, any institution, anything that is out there, people are just against it. Yeah. And the, which, is, which explains the Brexit you know, thing in some ways. In, in, you know, and the example, of course, is that on a, day where, you know, uh, on a day where eight different proposals were put out, all eight were voted down because people are just against things. It's, easy, it's much easier to be in the opposition in many ways.
0: Yeah, yeah the thing is with Brexit as well, they're, theor- they're theorizing the politicians and they're creating more of a mess but at the same time, it's people on the streets who are suffering the increasing racism. There's been shocking levels of increasing racism in this country, not just towards Muslims necessarily, towards all people of colour, towards Polish people, Eastern Europeans have been attacked and told you're not welcome, go back home and so on. So it's, it is a, a global perspective. But one thing that I'm really interested in is you've mentioned how you as a person of colour have experienced your um, role as a journalist, but can you mm. tell me more about your um, other identity as a comedian, as a stand up comedian? Yeah. How are you received as a person of color? Well, um, it's a good question. So, on one hand, you know,
2: why? So, I'm doing a show on Sunday um, that's that's called The Big Brown Comedy Show. I'm doing it with um, Asif Manvi, who you might know. Asif Manvi was in. Um, yeah, he was a Daily Show correspondent. Uh, he was in the HBO show The Brink. He was in a, a, a Pulitzer Prize winning play which by Ayad Akhtar, which of course I'm now forgetting the name of because I'm having <laughs> <laughs> a phone right But he's, you know, and a couple of um, Dean, Obidala, uh, uh, Mason Zaid. Um, uh, Dean and Mason started the show 10 years ago in New York City. And the reason he started it was because Frankly, you know, stand-up comedy is still a very white and very male-dominated industry. And in 2008 or 2009 when he started it, he's like, we need to give a space for Muslim comics, for Arab comics, for other brown comics, because it's hard for them to get stage time. And he does it about four times a year around New York. And sometimes, you know, he takes it on the road or whatever. And it's the most amazing show I ever do, because... The crowd is mostly brown. They packed the place out. It's at this place called the Comic Strip, which is this um, oh, legendary comedy club in New York. Um, huge, a lot of seats. It, it, it's a great play venue to perform. And I could go up there and read the phone book, and I'm going to get a laugh. And it's, uh, and, and the reason for that is like, I think people come to the show and they don't, there's no other show like it. You know, it's hard, you know, for them to find a space that, you know, an Arabic person can come and an Arabic comic is on stage and they get it. They're connecting on that level. Mm-hmm. I make jokes in front of those crowds that, you know, white people don't get as much. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's true, right? And, and there, there are jokes that I can tell the two of you that, um, you know, frankly, you know, a Caucasian person is not going to get. And I love those <laughs> I love, I love I love feeling like I am at home. You yeah. know, what I mean? um, um. So and 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 I think that's that's changing a little bit now. Uh, you know, I think it's it's getting a little easier for you know people of color to get stage time. People of color to, you know, and look, I'll I'll give you an example. Um, my book you know, which is about, you know, being a person of color, uh, which is about doing stand-up comedy and being a reporter and reconnect with my family. Listen, I don't know if that's a book that a publishing house would have bought 10 years ago, five years ago. You know, I mean, it, the fact is, you know, uh, I, I, and I, by the way, the, I'm not some Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, you know, Rachel or you know, you know, I'm I'm not. Of course, I'm not.
0: Um, but don't, don't undersell yourself, Sophan. Yeah, right.
2: You're. You know what? You're right. I am Rosa Parks. You're right. <laughs> no,
0: um, uh,
2: but all that is to say is that I think there's a, more of a space that has ever existed before That's for true. people of color to have their voices heard. That's and true. and my story is very much a first generation. It's a story about being the children of immigrants. And, and that story has historically, you know, it's exploded in recent years. Yeah. Ten years ago, that story was not being told as much.
1: It feels like we're in a bit of a moment with people like yourself writing this book. Like you said, that potentially wouldn't have been, you wouldn't have had an audience for it ten years ago or, or pub- people publishing it at the very least. But we've got people like Hassan Minaj, whose his Netflix special was, it, it felt like it was the brown version of the Chris Rock you know, yeah.
2: well, Hassan is a particularly interesting. Um, I, I I I don't know if you saw, but I actually interviewed him a couple of weeks ago uh, for uh, Time's Talk, which is basically how that. What, what what we what we what we do is we sometimes we have a theater and we do a live Q and A on stage, and people come and um and and listen to the Q and A and. And I ask Hassan because he he in in his Netflix show, The Patriot Act, mm-hmm. which is a, a show where he takes on like a, a topic and he really breaks it down over the course of the half. I, I love
1: it. I'm a big fan. I've been, I'm yeah. completely up to date.
2: And and he he may he talks he talks about his Muslim faith quite a bit on the show. Mm-hmm. He talks about uncles and aunties and he talks about you know not drinking and his faith and whatnot. And and I asked Hassan because he makes a lot of references that I think. White audience might not quite understand. I asked, I was like, "Do you ever think about um, whether your jokes can appeal to a wide audience?" Because you're making these kind of niche jokes about, you know, you know, chai and 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 being Muslim, right? and, and he and he says to me, he's like, "You know, do you ever notice that white uh, TV hosts never get asked that question?" And I was like, <laughs> "I mean, I was like, you're absolutely right, you know, because I wouldn't think to ask Stephen Colbert that question." Right? Right. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't true. think to ask, you know, uh, Jimmy Fallon that question. You know, it's true. It's, and that's, that's where the lack of progress is, right? And yeah. see, I was guilty of it in that moment. Yeah. But, but I, you know, um, the fact is, Hassan gets asked those questions because there aren't a lot of brown people on TV. Yeah. But Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, you know, those guys aren't being asked those questions.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that's so true. Um, I'm just thinking a little bit about, we've mentioned Hassan Minaj and I'm really curious to know about your um, role models in comedy. I'm really interested oh, yeah. to yeah. know in the past, historically, who, when you were growing up, who were your role models, but also now contem- your contemporaries, who do you really rate? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when I was
2: in, I want to say in eighth grade, so this would be when I was, I don't know, 13, um, a friend of mine showed me, he, we're, you know, we're just at his house and we're just playing around. He's like, I wanna show you this guy that I just came across. I've never heard of him, but his name is Russell Peters. Yeah. Okay? And, and he, he shows me a, a clip, uh, and, and the clip is of, a, of a, his special from Canada that everybody knows now. Yep. But um, the clip was his joke about um, beating your kids. <laughs> Like the most, his most famous joke probably at this point. And, and, and the joke, for those of you who haven't heard it, is some variation of you know, white people should beat their kids because uh, you know, otherwise they feel left out among immigrant kids or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I watched that joke. My, I, first of all, I fell out of my chair, <laughs> crying. I mean, crying. And I've never reacted that way to a joke. My stomach hurt. But also I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, this guy is speaking to me like that is my story right there. Yes. And I had never up until that point heard a comedian do that. I'd never heard that. And, and then he was telling jokes about, um, you know, uh, you know, having a, you know, growing up Indian in a, in a non-Indian society. And he was telling all these jokes that I got more than my friends did. And that was the moment where I was like, that is something I might want to do one day yeah and then um you know as as i started you know actually doing comedy the comedians i really fell in love with aside from asa minaj of course you know um early you know mitch hedberg who you know one-liner comedian i love ronnie dangerfield yeah um you know and then i discovered like early stuff with kumail nanjiani which i really loved um, mm-hmm. um back when he was doing a lot more stand-up i don't think kumail does as much stand-up anymore um and then, you know, they're like, I, I, have, I actually find the comedians that I form with on a daily basis more interesting than the A-listers, because if you think about it, okay, so take someone like Chris Rock. Mm-hmm. Chris Rock, brilliant comic, all that stuff. Chris Rock can show up at a comedy club, and I use the analogy of, of, of reading a phone book again, but he can read a phone book, and he's going to get a laugh because he's Chris Rock. And it, but the but the crowd subconsciously knows that, and they're kind of primed to laugh with Chris Rock because he has the audience's trust. I you know you almost feel like a, like an air traffic uh, cap like an airline captain. Like you trust the airline captain to land you safely. Yeah. Okay. Whereas if you're a comedian that's not well known, and I I put myself in that in that um, in that kind of envelope. Um, if you're, you have to work harder because you don't have the audience's trust. Yeah. So I, when I'm at these clubs and I see someone who nobody knows and he walks on stage and he kills it, mm-hmm. I'm like, this is, it, it's amazing. Because he, yeah. he had to climb a mountain that, for that 10 minutes yeah. that Chris Rock didn't have to climb. No. Chris, Rock, Chris Rock climbed that mountain 20 years ago. Yeah. And so those are the comics I find myself drawn to today. And thankfully, because of Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, you know, all those, you know, there's been such an explosion of content now Mm -hmm. that those, those types of comics have it, um, have it, uh, have it easier in a way. And there's a guy, for example, that has a 15 minute Netflix special now that I perform with, you know, every now and then. His, uh, who actually is in that new Rami Youssef show that I was telling you about. His name is Dave. I'm I mispronounce his last name, uh, uh Meherji. And and he's he's Muslim. He's Lebanese. And he has his whole bit is that he's very manic on stage. He's and if you watch his standup, his his energy is like bursting he's like it looks like he's about to fall over like he's like he's done like cocaine before the set and he's talking he's just going from one topic to the next to the next to the next to the next and he does about 15 jokes in the course of three seconds and it's the most amazing i I love it and and so i love comics that make me think in a different way i love comics that make me when i watch them i go wow i didn't think of it that way i didn't think of jokes being delivered in that way and those are the people that i love and but russell peter was the first stand-up comic i saw that made me go yes that guy's speaking to me Mm -hmm. and um I, i i've never had a chance to meet him i've never um i've never told him that of course but that is something i've thought about quite a bit
0: so, oh, that's, that's amazing. Shaf's exactly. Chef, actually going tomorrow to see one of your um, contemporaries, I would call him. Yeah, oh, was that?
1: Aziz Ansari?
0: Oh yeah, of
2: course. Um, so Aziz, I've, I've seen his stand up. Uh, I saw him in Charleston um, in, in the fall. Um, I mean, of course, you know, it, this was post, you know, his, his, his quote unquote, you know, his Me Too moment. Yeah. Um, so it was a little bit of a, a darker set. You know, than I, you know, than previously, because Aziz has always been kind of this relentless optimist. I think in his previous stand-up version, and now he, he, the version that I saw of him was a little bit less um, optimistic. If that makes sense, you know what I mean? Like he, because he, cause he yeah. you know, he, 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 he's kind, kind of coming at it as someone who seems a little bit wounded by some of the backlash he's received over the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, I think that's really interesting because. Um... He's not, even in his appearances in Parks and Rec, he's this kind of chirpy guy. He's always want to make the most of a bad situation. He's always for a good time and that kind of thing. But I'm really looking forward to how he addresses some of the, uh, the negative publicity that's been around him. What I really like about Aziz talk, talk addressing some really kind of prickly issues in Masters of None. So I think what's interesting is watching people like Hasan Minhaj, you, yourself, and Aziz Ansari address some really prickly topics that are really important through the vehicle of comedy.
2: And and I think with Aziz in particular, what makes Masters of None kind of interesting is that, well, it's not just interesting to me and you. It's interesting to a broad array of people, right? It's not a show that's just for me and you. Mm -hmm. It's a show that's for a lot of people. And that's been the big struggle right is is you often see um let's say shows about muslims you you know shows that feature primarily feature muslims before Hassan Minaj, before uh, the big sick or before they're often about you know kind of muslims that are um that are fighting against people that are muslims right mm-hmm. it's often right it's often like this is the good muslim um versus you know, and you actually kind of see that in the big sick, right? In that you, you know, yes, the big sick was a version of progress, but you also had, you know, there there were critics that were saying, well, of course, the here's a, here's a story about a Muslim who doesn't want to be Muslim. You know, that yeah. was often the story that we were seeing, mm-hmm. um, and not just with Muslim, also you know whether it's you know brown people with arranged marriage, whether it's about Hinduism, you saw that in the namesake with Cal Penn. You might remember that movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That? I mean, The Namesake was a movie, and I loved The Namesake. That was another movie that spoke to me as a kid. But, you know, fundamentally, Cal Penn's character in that movie, in that, you know, I think his the character's name was Gogol, that character was, I want to be white. You know, that, that's what that character was. And so it's only now that we're seeing um, shows in which people, and, and movies in which people are accepting their brownness and, and trying to spread that as a story rather than fighting against it.
1: I completely agree with everything you've said there. I think oftentimes it has this kind of Orientalist view of what, as you said, a good Muslim or a bad Muslim looks like and, you know, good to who and bad to who, right? Uh, What I found really thought provoking about Aziz Ansari and Masters of None is when he starts talking about how, about Short Circuit and the, the Indian character in Short Circuit, when he made that realization that that character was actually a white actor that was browned up well yeah and you, you know the, the conversation one of the
2: conversations we we had was last year about um uh, the uh depiction of apu in the simpsons
1: ah yes yes yes
2: i mean yeah i mean this this was a very famous and 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 i, I don't know if you saw the harikanda blue documentary about about um you know uh, i think i think it might have been called i hate apu because <laughs> Uh, because, you know, here is a character voiced by a white person, uh, 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 written by a white person, um, mocking, essentially, brown people. Now, now the, the argument against that, right, was a lot of people, were, well, The Simpsons mocks everybody. But the difference is, when a Apu was on the air uh, for The Simpsons, in the 90s, you know, in the 80s, there weren't any depictions, many depictions of brown people on television. Yeah. So what we had was... A lot of America, their only kind of uh, exposure to brown America was through a poo. Yeah. So of course, when I was growing up, a lot of you know, a lot of what I was getting, I'd be getting people yelling, "Thank you, come again!" at me. It was it was used as a taunt towards me. Yeah, yeah. They were not exposed to other people. So yes, did they make fun of uh, you know Jewish people? Did they make fun of Catholics? Did they make fun of? You know, other other ethnicities, yes, but the difference is other ethnicities had other ex- forms of exposure mm-hmm. in pop culture in a way that brown people did not.
0: That's so true, yeah. So Pan, um, so we got to know you because you contacted us, thankfully, because now we're having this amazing conversation. <laughs> and we learned, really enjoying the conversation, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, but we got to know you um, because you wanted to ask us about the Rami Youssef show. Can you tell us a little bit more with you being over there? You know more about the Rami Youssef show than yeah. we do. Yeah. So
2: Rami Yusuf is is a is a comedian. Um, he's I think he's 28. Um, he is Egyptian American, and he um, he's a relatively unknown in the United States. Um, he's uh, but. He was on a couple of Nickelodeon shows and like when he was 2021, 20, but he has this new show coming out on Hulu and uh, in mid-April called Rami. It's based on himself, and it's remarkable because it's it's a it's a story about a coming of age Muslim in the United States, and it's about this 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 Rami plays a version of himself that grapples with his Muslim faith and growing up in America, and it's remarkable because I have never seen a show like this. Um, and I'm not speaking to the quality of the show. I'm speaking to the content of the show. Yeah. You know, you're having very nuanced discussions about what it means to be a Muslim in America as well as someone who has grown up as a, a, a second generation American. Um, as, I, as we were talking about before, usually when we see Muslims on television, you guys, as you guys know with the Riz test, you're seeing them as often as terrorists or often as people that have to push back against jihadists or um, uh, you know, or it's 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 you know, it's some variation of that. In the case of Rami, he leans in to being a Muslim. The show is about that. The show is about his conversations with his imam. The show is about his his relationships with you know white girlfriends who don't understand why he doesn't drink or do drugs. You know, he goes. You know, it it, it 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 leans into that. um, is it a perfect show? No, you know, and I, I no show is perfect. But it is remarkable in the themes that it explores that really no other show has explored. Now, that's not to say there aren't other shows that explore, you know, themes of being Muslim, right? The Big Sick is a show that explores that. Um, um, but there aren't many, right? Um, but I think we're seeing in recent years that representation has gotten better. You know, uh, look, Mahershala Ali just won... Um, Two, uh, you know, two Oscars, right? Um, Riz Ahmed, you know, The Night of was a pretty big accomplishment for him, um, and now he's in Star Wars, right? And 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 so you're seeing a you're seeing improvement. But Rami is the first show that I think television wise really really dives into these themes of what it means to be an American Muslim. That's brilliant. I hope we get to see it over here in the UK. Yeah, yeah, I think you will. I I think I I, I see no reason uh, why you wouldn't.
1: I'll I'll pirate it. I uh, don't yeah. worry about it. <laughs>
2: it's it
1: it's interesting you say that being t- telling an authentic story from the perspective of of a, of a Muslim just coming of age in the, in the US. I think that goes across all um, forms of art as well. Because for example, we've got the Marvel comic Miss Marvel, and the the character Kamala she's from new jersey the, the character herself she's written as a character from a young pakistani american she thinks she's 17 years old she she grew up in new jersey and she tells and it's little things that 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 she mentions in the comic that 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 resonate because she talks about going past a shop where they sell bacon and she can't eat bacon because she's a muslim but she says but well, doesn't it smell nice and, oh and it's and it's little silly things like that that really um reflects the experience of someone living yeah.
2: uh, re- refresh my memory did they they're making that film right have they announced that
1: or no i see tweets now and again about it but i, I would be surprised if that's not made into a movie
2: right 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 i i wouldn't i wouldn't either i mean i especially cuz look we we saw that with captain marvel pretty much it, it, you at this point we're past the point of discussion as to whether you know uh whether women or women of color confront a franchise and make a lot of money doing it yeah but that conversation is over you know what i mean like at this point the only people who are questioning that are people that are are either uninformed or coming at it in bad faith
1: sure
0: so pan i can't tell you how much fun it's been listening to your stories your tales your about your experiences and so on and i think when you release your book 100 percent, we want to chat to you again about your book Definitely. later on in coming months but i've got two more little questions before you Please, go of one of them was that you mentioned that you hadn't been to india i don't know if you mentioned it on the podcast or where we when we when we were chatting before um, so I want to know if you have been to India since, or are you planning on going? And my well, other... it's funny you mentioned, oh, sorry, you had a second question. <laughs> and my other question is that I think it's remarkable that you've done stand-up comedi- uh, comedy and journalism, and I think you're pretty brilliant at both. And I want to know what's next for you. Would you, for, for example, consider going into acting?
2: Um... Uh, well, let me take the first part of the question first about the trip to india um so actually so what the book chronicles is my first trip to india oh. um, and and in two thousand and six my father my so my in essentially the book uh, my parents were arranged to get married um, they're, they're they're both indian they both they're arranged to get married in the 1970s uh, they had a horrible marriage and they got divorced when I was sixteen or seventeen years old and um they um uh, which is, as you know, is is rare. It's a, it's a rare thing among range marriages for the divorce, uh, for various reasons. And but so this one was bad enough that they got divorced. Um, after And so when I was growing up, when I was growing up in this very toxic household, I never got to know my parents because we never spoke about things. We never talked about anything. I never, didn't know their birthdays. I didn't know where they were from. I didn't know how they met. I didn't know any extended family. I didn't know anything about them. Anyway, after they divorced, uh, my father actually... Moved to India without telling anybody. He just moved, and uh, and I, we we he just got up and left the country, and so last summer, um, about eleven or twelve years after he left the country, I went to India to go see, to go see him, and that's partially what the book is about: is going to go to India for the first time and see my father. And getting to know him and understanding his world uh, for the first time. So that, so that, so I did go to India. And that's what the book chronicles. Oh wow! Um, and the second question, um, as to what's next, is something. It's I think about at least I would estimate about 20 hours of the 24 hours that we are. <laughs> that.
0: <laughs> I'm um, dying to know what
2: well, this is. I love writing, um, and, I, and I and I think at some point I'm gonna you know uh develop more you know maybe pilots or whether it's more you know I don't see myself ever going in the acting route or anything because that requires something called talent and that is (laughs) no no um but I do have ambitions at some point you know um you know first of all by the way my 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 day job of writing for the New York Times is the most amazing job I'll ever have in my life and and you know I'll keep doing that in, but in the meantime, you know, I think there are side projects that I want to try out, whether it's on the pilot um, doing more television stuff and do, doing more comedy and maybe, maybe at some point in the next couple of years, I'll transition and maybe do more comedy and, 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 you know, But in the meantime, there's stuff at the times that I want to accomplish that I, I, I hope to do.
0: That's, that's amazing, and that's so exciting. And don't forget, if you do foray into script writing, you have to make sure it passes the RIS test. <laughs>
2: yes, of course, of course. I will, well, I will, I will send you guys the script ahead of time and you'll let me know.
0: <laughs> I hope one day we, um, we get to come to the States and we actually come and watch some of these comedians that you've mentioned, because they sound of absolutely course. amazing. Of course. Well,
2: please let me know, and we'll 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 link up in person.
1: That sounds fantastic. And w- one thing we, we we haven't spoke about that maybe we'll discuss another time is the, how you got arrested at a Trump rally. I know wait to discuss that, but we'll pick, we'll pick that up another time.
2: Okay. Yes. Yeah, that that's uh, yeah. That was quite a traumatic experience. But yes, yeah, definitely we'll, we'll talk about that next time.
0: That's for part two to keep the audience coming back.
2: Okay. (laughs) All right. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's
1: been great. You've been so generous with your time. I really appreciate it. And let's pick this up again, as Sadia said, when you released your book.
2: All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much, guys.
0: Oh, that was so much fun having that conversation with Sopan. And I really can't wait for him to um, release his book because we're definitely getting him back on our podcast when his book comes out.
1: Definitely. I mean, he's just got so much experience, and he's got so many interesting stories that like, we could have gone on for ages.
0: He really could, and he was so generous with his time.
1: Yeah, he really was. And uh, he, as you said, when he gets his when his book's released next year, then we we'll definitely have him back on, and um, we'll definitely have to take him up on the offer of going over to the states and getting a bit of a tour of the New York Times office and whatnot. So I think that's something yeah, that
0: would really- be phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. We could do a podcast there. Can you imagine that?
1: Can you imagine one day, and that 's a a very unsubtle hint to anyone in the states who wants to <laughs> but, um, so I hope you 've enjoyed this episode of the podcast we every every episode we put out there, we get more and more listeners and we get great feedback. What would really 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 help us if you share the podcast out there, and also if you enjoy it, please do leave a review and a rating on apple Podcasts and on spotify or wherever you listen to it because it really helps um and please do keep sending through your feedback
0: oh yeah definitely send us some more feedback please that'd be that'd be awesome
1: brilliant so we hope to hear from you next time and that's everything from me i'll see you later
0: yeah take care thank you